How many of you are getting something out of the messages that we've been sharing? Yeah, good. How many of you have been, and you don't have to raise your hand, have been studying on your own, um, not believing anything Daniel says, but actually doing the Berean Jew thing, right? Going to scriptures, hearing what we say, but going to scriptures and searching it out on your own. I pray that you are because, you know, it's one thing to hear it. And you know what they say, um, you know, I've been uh, a teacher in, in the academic setting in, in medical schools for the last 25 years. And we know that if we give a lecture, we anticipate that the, uh, the listeners are going to get about 10% from the lecture, right? You have to go back and meditate. You have to go back and read. You have to go back and study. Um, and hear from God. When it comes to his truth, you have to hear from God. And so we're going to get into this, and, and uh, I'm going to finish this section, because next week we have a yeshiva, so we're going to take a little break. So I'm going to finish this section, so I hope you're prepared to uh, stay until we're done with this message. <clears throat> Nobody has any lunch plans, I hope. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just come before you, our, our avinu, we ask you to show us your ways, to teach us your paths, Lord, to lead us in your truth and teach us for you and you alone are the God that saves us. And on you we will wait all the day. And so I want to begin again. Now remember, this is the book of Revelation, but we are, we are preparing ourselves to get into the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation is a compilation of the, uh, the visions that Yeshua uh, gave to Yohanan. And these visions are visions that are, you know, further explained and unraveled and unpacked in, you know, other books of Scripture, clearly. And so, uh, unless we understand the Tanakh, and its scriptural references to the same events that Yohanan is seeing, we will misinterpret prophecy and specifically misinterpret the book of the Revelation by, by miles. We will not hit the target in any way unless we understand the foundation, and so that's why we're doing it uh, this way. Isaiah 46 says, At the beginning... God, I announce the end. Proclaim in advance things not yet done. And I say that my plan will hold. I will do everything I please to do. I have spoken it and will bring it about. I have made a plan and I will fulfill it. And verse 13 is critical. And we, you know, I've heard people quote this scripture over and over again, and they stop it right at verse 10. Verse 13 says, I am bringing my justice nearer. It is not far away. My salvation will not be delayed. I will place my salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. So right here, when God talks about the fact that he will tell us history in advance for a purpose, and the history in advance is foundationally about the fact that he is going to bring justice on this earth. It is not far away. He will bring salvation, 
and he will place his salvation in Zion. Where is Zion? For who? Israel, my glory. That's the frame of reference of all prophetic scripture, period. And so whether you're talking about the book of the Revelation, whether you're talking about these scriptures that we are diving into in, in uh, the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, that we will get into further today, its, its theme is consistent. And so I don't want to get too much into the book of the Revelation because we have a lot to do out of the book of Ezekiel today. But we know that the book of Revelation is an unveiling. It's God opening up the curtain through Yeshua to Yohanan, the curtain of what we are to do, not just here, but do. And why do we know that? Because it is the only book the only letter that was ever written that said, if you are a reader and hearer and obey what is in it, you will be blessed. Amen? All right. So again, I'll reiterate this and say it over and over because over and over, God points us to the land of Israel as the focal point of the last days and of redemptive prophecy. Over and over, God associates the last days with the great persecution and ultimate final restoration of national Israel. Over and over, God gives us glimpses of the last days scenario, but always with the focus on his covenant people, the Jews and his holy city, Jerusalem. So again, can't interpret any prophecy fully and accurately without first recognizing the scriptural patterns and the history of God's relationship with the Jewish people. Amen? You all in agreement with that? Uh, you don't have to be, but it's true. <laughs> so real quick, Daniel 2, this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, what will happen in the Aharit Hayamim is what the dream is about, the latter days. We have this image and the image is a time progression of these successive Gentile empires. And if you haven't been here for the last few weeks, um, go back and watch the messages on, um, on our website. It is a successive time progression of Gentile empires that are connected to the land and people of Israel, period. They all have had control over the land of Israel and have overtly persecuted the people of Israel. And the final two empires at the feet, this clay iron empire, which will be present in the Aharit Hayamim, the last days, will obviously follow the same pattern as previous empires, but will remain distinct from each other. And we talked about that. Ultimately, they will be destroyed by the stone that is cut out without hands that destroys the final two empires. This is all right, familiar to you all. Got it? and the stone will set up a kingdom that will never end, right? The iron we discussed, the Roman Empire's influence informed by the Greek, the Persian, the Babylonians, has continued to dominate the kingdoms of the world, both culturally, politically, and economically, in all ways. It is the entirety of modern civilization, and it opposes it as an ideology, but a spiritual entity opposes anything and anyone submitted to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
What's the clay? The clay has to be another Gentile empire, but it arises, it's not a, it's not a metal. It arises separate from any Roman influence. It will exist alongside the iron, and since it is part of the image, have a mutual mission. And what's the mission? It opposes anything related to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And its goal is to control the land of Israel and persecute the Jewish people. It is a kingdom, a reign, an empire. But it will never truly mix, it says in that dream, with the iron. The clay and the iron don't mix. They, 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 they don't become part of each other. So which other empire has arisen apart from the influence of the iron, the Roman, Greco-Roman world that we live in, has never truly mixed with the iron and that has been committed to controlling the land and persecuting the people of Israel. And so we've talked about the book of Ezekiel and the perpetual enemy of God, this that he introduces in these prophecies of the future of Israel, starting with Ezekiel 35, he says to Ezekiel, turn your face against Mount Seir. I am against you, Mount Seir. And who is God referring to? Go, again, go back to the last week's um, discussion. He's talking about Esau. Esau is Edom. <clears throat> We talked about Edom and where they, they settled. They settled south and east of the Dead Sea in this area. But over time, they spread out through the land. Right? And we found out that Islam, the birthplace of Islam was Mecca. And the, the Edomites, through the generations, have spread out through this land. Um, we also found that the other enemies of Israel are the children of Ishmael um, and Kedar specifically in this Kedarite federation, coincidentally settled in the same exact area as the Edomites and intermingled with themselves, but completely separated from the known world, right? And they spread throughout this land as well. So the Edomites and the Kedarites, the Yishmaelites. Again, go back to uh, last week if you want details. And so is there any further evidence? You know, when we're in Scripture, you know, if we, you have a hypothesis. You know, hypothesis I define as something is brewing in your spirit that God is trying to show you. And you're seeing some evidence that supports it in Scripture. You better see evidence that supports your evidence, that supports your evidence. Because the only thing that will confirm Scripture is Scripture. So you better see this evidence over and over again. And what are we building towards? We're building towards a foundational understanding of the book of the Revelation. So when we go to the book of the Revelation and we see these visions and these descriptions that, that Yohanan is getting, we have some reference point to it. We aren't looking at it from a Western, right, Anglo-Saxon perspective from a, a Western 
dispensational perspective, from a systematic theology perspective, no disrespect to any of that. We are looking at it from a scriptural perspective with the foundations that we are learning from prophecy. And when God says he's going to get something done, we see patterns of it over and over and over in scripture. And so chapters 35 and 36 talk about this perpetual enemy of God. And we found out through discovery that Edom, that perpetual enemy, is Esau and the children, the generational children of Esau. We found out that Ishmael also is prophesied to be at loggerheads forever and his offspring with his cousins, if you will, the children of Sarah and Abraham. 37 of Ezekiel, and we went through this several months ago, is the Valley of Dry Bones, this vision of God bringing Israel back to life. And what is that vision about? It's about bringing them back into their land when they were thought to be dead. Six million, more than approaching 50% of the Jews in this world were murdered in the death camps. They were dry bones, dead. And out of the ashes of the Holocaust, literally within two years, the birth of the nation of Israel. And why I'm here, I don't know. My dad is the only one, as you, many of you know, that survived the Holocaust. He was there in 1946 to free the concentration camps as a member of the Palestinian Brigade of the British Army. He was part of this Jewish group that the British Army said, okay, fine, you can join us, just don't, don't do anything, you know, serious. Just wash some trucks for us and, you know, load our guns for us. And they said, mm-mm. And so they said, okay, fine, we'll stick you at the front as we go up the, the boot of Italy. And, and we'll stick you up at the front because it's the last stand of the German army in, in the, the rivers of northern Italy, north-central Italy. And we'll, we'll let you guys go first just to test to see what they, what they have. And guess what? They took out the Germans. And the Germans turned and ran. This little Jewish brigade of a few thousand Jews who were sent to be scapegoats. And my dad was part of this. And finally, that was one of the last battles on the, the Allies' front. And the Germans had had enough. The Russians had won on the eastern side. And during the time when he was, um, you know, taking a, a leave of absence after seven years of, of being away from Czechoslovakia, they gave him a weekend pass to go there, and that's when he found out after seven years, from the time he was 15 to the time he was 22 years old, he had not heard or seen from his family, and that was when he went to Prague and found out that his entire family, every single one 
mother, father, sisters, cousins, aunts, uncles, all murdered in the death camps. I shouldn't be here. And from there, he stayed. There's more to the story, but he stayed back, sent my mom, her sister, and his best friend who had married my mom, my mom's sister. Um, yeah. Make sure that everybody heard me correct myself there. So my uncle and aunt went back to Israel with my mom, or what was then the Palestine Mandate. My dad stayed back, freed the concentration camps with what was left of the Jewish Brigade, and repatriated Jewish people illegally to Palestine, right? Kept very close to the vest as he also chased down, as part of the, the group that chased down some of the Nazis. Um, and then he came back in 46, and for two years helped to prepare them for what was inevitable, and that was the War of Independence when they declared independence in 48, and he was there. That's, he lived the Valley of Dry Bones. He lived it. And then we go into the rest of the story, as a famous man once said. This is the rest of the story. And it starts in the very next chapter in Ezekiel 38. And it's this famous war of Gog and Magog, right? Everybody's heard of it. If you Google Gog, Magog, you'll get about a million, two, maybe by now it's more. It's been several years since I actually Googled it. You'll get several million probably hits. And as I always say, you'll get seven, several million opinions. So we're not going to take opinions. We're going to go to the word. And we're going to figure out what is this? So we'll start with verse 1 of Ezekiel 38. The word of Adonai came to me. This is Ezekiel. Remember, he's in Babylon, right? One of the exiles. And God in chapter 32, 33, that range, said, when you have somebody escape from Jerusalem after the destruction of Jerusalem, he's going to come and he's going to tell you that Jerusalem is destroyed. That's when you're allowed to open your mouth and prophesy the distant future of your people and your land. And so that starts in chapter 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, dry bones, and now 38. The word of Adonai came to me, Ezekiel, how, human being, turn your face towards Gog, the land of Magog, chief prince of Meshech and Tuval, and prophesy against him. Say that Adonai Elohim says, I am against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tuval. Remember, God does not do anything by accident. He does not say anything by accident. Everything in the word is intentional. Every little detail is purposeful. That phrase, turn your face toward, is sim panim. It literally means set your face against. Identify something as evil, unworthy, to give no grace to and to come against. That's what that phrase means in the Hebrew. 
So, the word of Adonai came to me, human being, turn your face against Mount Seir. We just read that last week. The same exact phrase in Ezekiel 35 to open up his discussion about Mount Seir in Edom. He said the same exact thing. Human being, turn your face. Seem panim against Mount Seir. Prophesy against it and say that Adonai Elohim says, I am against you, Mount Seir. Right? Verse 38. What does he say in verse three, um, chapter 38, verse 3? Say that Adonai Elohim says, I am against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tuval. Back to 35. And say that Adonai Elohim says, I am against you, Mount Seir. Same exact phrase. So is there a relationship between Mount Seir and this Gog, Magog, Meshech, Tuval that we're talking about? He goes on in verse 4. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and bring you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all completely equipped, a great horde with breastplates and shields, all wielding swords. So he says to Ezekiel, turn your face against, because I am against this, whatever this is, this Gog, Magog, Meshach, Tuval alliance. But he says, I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and bring you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all completely equipped. And this is the phrase that people kind of just whew, go right over. This is in the complete Jewish Bible. It's a great horde, is what it says. But that, that phrase in the Hebrew is the phrase kol hayal. It actually means not only a great horde, it means an entire machine of war. An entire machinery, if you will, of opposition. This is not just a few little armies with breastplates and shield. This is a great horde, an entire machine of opposition. And so God says, I will put hooks and pull you in. And he says, with you, Gog, the land of Magog, Meshech, and Tuval, with them will be Persia. Pars, it says in, in the Hebrew. Cush and Put. All of them with shield and helmet. In other words, there is a, this is not just a friendly discussion between friends. There is intent. Gomer and all his troops, the house of Togarma from the extreme north and all his troops, many peoples with you. We'll get to that in just a second. And so this Gog of the land of Magog, chief prince of Meshech and Tuval, where else do we see this? What, what are these people? Who are these people? Now remember, Ezekiel knows Scripture. He studies Scripture. In fact, it says that he studied the letters of Jeremiah, who was writing from Jerusalem, that became the book of Jeremiah. 
He knows the Torah. Ezekiel is of the priestly line, unlike Daniel, who is of the royal line in Israel. Ezekiel is of the priestly line. He studied to be a high priest. And so when God is showing him this vision, he's showing him pictures. He's seeing something. What's he seeing? Well, where we see these names in Scripture, there's, oh, there are several places, but the one place where we see all these names together is actually in the 10th chapter of the book of Genesis, which is the children, the lineage of Noah. And it says in, in verses 1 through 5, here is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Yefet were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Yavan, Tuval, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Rifat, and Tugarma. The sons of Yavan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kitim, and Dodanim. From these, the islands of the Goyim were divided into their lands, each according to its language, according to their families in their nations. And when it says they were divided into their lands, the islands, in other words, these tr tribes, you know, had small little islands, not islands as in physical surrounded by water, but islands or groups, right? And it says that each according to the language, they were divided into their lands. And we know through archaeological, historical evidence that the lands that these people were in and where they were divided into included this region. You see Magog, Omer, Tuval. And you also see Fut and Kush. We know that there are semi-modern empires that existed where these, what, what Ezekiel saw, right? The lands that Ezekiel saw when he was uh, given this picture, the, the Ottoman Empire, one of the most recent empires that actually unified this region where from chapter 35 and 36, Edom, Mount Seir spread to, where these other lands that are described, where these children of Noah, great-great-grandchildren of Noah settled, the most recent empire that unified this entire area was called the Ottoman Empire. Right? The Ottoman Empire existed until what year? Anybody know? They were part of the alliance with Germany and Austria in World War I. The Ottoman Empire. And when World War I was over, that alliance was done. 
and the Ottoman Empire was no longer. And these lands were divided. Many of them were, ta- were, were sort of presumed to be their own lands. You know, Iran was born out of that, Persia, the old Persian Empire. Many of the lands were given to Great Britain. Many of the lands were given to France. In North Africa, in the Middle East, as you know, that area that was known, renamed as Palestine, was given to the British. Lebanon, Syria were given to the French. But these were still the lands of an empire that existed even as recently as the 1920s, 19-teens. Now we're going to hear about empires or kings that were dead, but came back to life in the book of the Revelation. And I want you to keep that in mind. With them Persia, it says. We know that the Persian Empire was a great, expansive empire. But we know that today, Persia is Iran. And who is the single most dominant empire, if you will, that has in its basic uh, genetics, ideological genetics, to destroy the nation of Israel and to evacuate that land of the Jewish people? Who is the, the biggest supporter of terrorism throughout the world today? We don't have to look very far to know the answer. What about this Put and Kush? Put is ancient North Africa, west of Egypt. So we're talking about Libya, Tunisia, Algeria. Very entrenched in radical Islam. There are factions, different factions of radical Islam that are vying for control of these countries. Now, we're talking about civil war, but they're factions of radical Islam that are fighting each other. Supported by? Of course. They don't care which side they're on. Kush. Sudan, parts of Ethiopia, Eritrea, Djibouti, and Somalia. You know, one time, a long time ago, Ethiopia was actually um, an ally of Israel. But now it is almost entirely controlled by Islam. Sudan, many of us have heard of Somalia and, and, you know, What is it, that famous movie? Black Hawk Down, Down, right? Islam has a hold of these. There's actually two countries that are vying against each other for control of these radicalized nations. We think Iran is obviously the worst, but there's another one involved. Guess who that is? Yeah. 
Ottoman Empire, Turkey. The central Ottoman Empire was in Turkey. Istanbul. What about Gomer and Beth Togarma? Gomer is historically and archaeologically the ancient Sumerians that, uh, that populated almost the entire area of central and western Anatolia. Beth Togarma or the Tilgarimu, which uh, was uh, populated the area known as the Karchemish in the Haran area. And where are these? Turkey. Modern day Turkey. And so what are we looking at? We, we're seeing in scripture this alliance that is going to, we're going to find, is going to come against Israel. According to this book, according to this, this chapter. This is, this is, you know, was popular about 15 years ago and the unjust Jewish occupation of Arab land. You know, there, there are about seven and a half million Jewish people in Israel. There are one billion people in the surrounding areas. What unifies this entire area that is exactly these areas from Scripture that we see? And what is it that unifies it? And what's fascinating is where did Islam, where was it born? It was born in Mecca. And where is Mecca? Right. And what group of people settled that area? The Edomites and the Ishmaelites. So do you see this progression through these, what we determine as chapters? There's no chapters when Ezekiel wrote this, right? He wrote as God told him to write, as a prophet, as visions. And these were progressive from describing who the eternal enemy of God is to describing the, the rebirth of the nation when they were thought to be completely dead in the Valley of Dry Bones, to this final end time. How do you know it's end time, Robichek? We're going to get there. This alliance of nations that seem to be in the same general area and influenced by what spread from the Edomite and Ishmaelite settlements to this land. So we continue to Ezekiel 38, verse 7. Prepare yourselves. He's still talking to this alliance. Get ready, you and all your crowd gathered around you, and take charge of them. After many days have passed, you will be mustered for service. In later years, you will invade what? The land. The land. Haaretz. 
which has been brought back from the sword, gathered out of many peoples, the mountains of Israel. Don't ever let anybody convince you or even try to convince you that anything about these prophecies has anything to do with anything other than Israel. This replacement theology doctrine of demons, where when you see Israel, you see the church, it is the doctrine of demons. It is deception. And it is the greatest deception on the body of Messiah today. On the body of Messiah. We know what the greatest deception is in the world. God isn't real, or that it's another God, that Yeshua, Jesus, is not the Messiah. He's a nice guy. Made everybody love each other. Changed the world. Kumbaya. No. Uh-uh. So after many days have passed, you will be mustered for service. In other words, we're talking a long time. He said, in latter, later years you will invade the land which has been brought back from the sword, gathered out of many peoples, the mountains of Israel. They had been lying in ruins for a long time. But now Israel has been extracted from the peoples and all of them are living there securely. You will come up like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land. You and all your troops and many other peoples with you. What is that term, last days in Hebrew? Anybody remember? We've talked about it. Acharit hayamim. What is that phrase later years in, in this? Acharit. The last, the end. Acharit. Years. But now Israel has been extracted from the peoples and all of them are living there securely. This must occur after the Jewish people repopulate Israel. From all nations. This can't be the exile into Babylon. And, and this alliance has nothing to do with a single uh, kingdom, the Roman Empire. This has to do with the last days when Israel is living securely. You will come up like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land. You and all your troops and many other peoples with you. <clears throat> and you have to understand, all the nations that are depicted in this story will come up against and many peoples with you. So peoples not part of those nations will also take part in this. Adonai Elohim says, when that day comes, thoughts will well up in your mind and you will devise a sinister scheme. You will say, I'm going to invade this land of unwalled villages. I will take by surprise these people who are at peace, living securely, all in places without walls, bars, or gates. I will seize the spoil and take the plunder. 
you will attack the former ruins that are now inhabited and come against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and other wealth and are living in the central parts of the land. So it will occur during a time of prosperity for Israel. Do you know that the gross national product of Israel is in the top 15 of the world? This is a nation who is about in next, this coming month, about to celebrate its 75th anniversary. A nation of 9 million, 7.5 million Jews and 1.5 million Arabs and Christians. Everybody's coming to them for technology. Learning how to desalinize the ocean because there's not enough water. They're helping lands in Africa to desalinize ocean water so that they can water their lands and, and water their, give water to their peoples. They're the ones who devi- developed it. This, this thing that has essentially changed the world, where do you think that was invented? Verse 13, Shvad, Didan, and all the leading merchants of Tarshish will ask you, have you come to spoil? Have you assembled your hordes to loot, to carry off silver, gold, livestock, and other wealth, to take much plunder? Where is Didan and Sheba? It's actually Saudi Arabia. There are two countries right now that are not mentioned, two two areas of the world that are not mentioned within this region, and that is the Arabian Peninsula and Egypt. They're not mentioned in this alliance. They're mentioned here, at least in the Arabian Peninsula, as Shiva and Didan will say, "What, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? You, you're crazy. Coming against Israel? Why? Why? To take spoil? Tarshish has been variously interpreted as Spain, England, India, but it literally, from Hebraic mind, Tarshish, if you look at it throughout the, the, the scriptures, it, it, talks about lands far removed from Israel. Could that be the United States? I don't know. I'm not guessing where God doesn't specify. But I'm just saying, lands removed, far removed. Verse 14, therefore human beings prophesy. Human being, tell Gog that Adonai Elohim says this, won't you be aware of it when my people Israel are living in security? You know, Israel understands that they're threatened existentially by their neighbors and specifically by Iran and their arms known as Hezbollah in Lebanon and Syria as, you know, the uh, Palestinian terrorists in Gaza and the West Bank, all arms of Iran. But Israel is feared. 
But Israel itself feels like, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty secure, but we can't ever be too secure. Guess what? It's not going to matter. These nations are going to come against it, and Israel will not be able to do anything about it. This is the great, the end of the great persecution. You will choose just that time to come from your place in the far reaches of the north. You and many peoples with you, all of them on horseback, a huge horde, a mighty army. And you will invade my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. This will be in the what? Aharit Hayamim, the last days. And I will bring you against my land so that the Goyim will know me when before their eyes I am set apart as holy through you, Gog. Security, that, that word security is betach yeshav, sitting securely. Sitting, thinking that they're safe. That aharit hayamim, the last days. <clears throat> Starting in verse 17, Adonai Elohim says, I spoke of you long ago through my servants and prophets of Israel. Back then they prophesied for many years that I would have you invade them. This is not the first time this prophecy is, is spoken of. When that day comes, when Gog invades the land of Israel, says Adonai Elohim, my furious anger will boil up. In my jealousy, in my heated fury, I speak. When that day comes, there will be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. <clears throat> So that the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the wild beasts, all the reptiles creeping on the ground, and every human being there in the land will tremble before me. Mountains will fall, cliffs crumble, and every wall crash to the ground. This is not going to be a pretty sight. But guess what? That, that phrase, every human being there in the land will tremble before me, literally is all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. God is coming. He said, I will summon a sword. You may think you have Israel. You may think you're going to finally annihilate this this thorn in your flesh, you, you world of Edom and, and so forth. You may come with your ancient hatred, but he says, I will summon a sword against him throughout all my mountains, says Adonai Elohim. Every man will wield his sword against his brothers, talking about what's going to happen to this, this alliance, this army, and all the peoples with them. I will judge him with plague and with blood, I will cause torrential rain to fall on him, his troops and the many peoples with him, along with huge hailstones, fire and sulfur. I will show in my greatness and holiness, making myself known in the sight of many nations, then they will know that I am Adonai. Whew. Could this happen in our lifetime? happening right before our eyes. This is the first time in history that Israel is a nation, that the people are back in their lands, and that this entire alliance is starting to come together for one purpose, under one 
ideology, spiritual ideology. What event does this sound like? Plagues and blood and hailstones and fire. Sounds like the Exodus, doesn't it? I submit to you that the Exodus is going to repeat itself. But do you know that the book of the Revelation is the second Exodus? And in fact, where do we see this in the book of Exodus? I'm just going to give you a little taste. As we go back to the book of Exodus at some point in time, in chapter 8, the beginning of the seven shofars of Revelation, when the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for what seemed like half an hour. Verse 2, Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and they were given seven shofars. Another angel came and stood at the altar with a gold incense bowl, and he was given a large quantity of incense to add to the prayers of all God's people. On the gold altar in front of the throne, the smoke of the incense went up with the prayers of God's people from the hand of the angel before God. Then the angel took the incense bowl, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it down onto the earth. And there followed peals of thunder, voices, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. We read that, we don't, we don't read Ezekiel 38, do we? We don't see Ezekiel 38 in that because we have our mindset on the West. We have our mindset on the, on the, you know, the new Roman Empire and, and whoever the latest president of the United States is that happens to be on the left being the Antichrist, Right? We don't understand that the entire book of Revelation and the unveiling of the last days has everything to do with the same thing that Ezekiel and Daniel are talking about. It's talking about the land of Israel. And from the land of Israel, God will bring justice. And God will redeem Israel, his glory. That's what this is all about. Let's move on real quick as we close out, as we finish this. You will fall in the open field, he talks about now in Ezekiel 39, about this Gog-Magog alliance. For I have spoken, says Adonai Elohim, I will also send fire against Magog and against those living securely in the coastlands. Then they will know that I'm Adonai. So Adonai coming is not going to be just limited to, you know, the land of Israel and bringing them all in to this land so that he can show himself as Adonai. I will make my holy name known among my people Israel. I will not allow my holy name to be profaned any longer. Then the Goyim will know that I am Adonai, the Holy One in Israel. Yes, this is coming and it will be done. One last time, says Adonai Elohim, this is the day about which I have spoken. Man, do, do you know what, we're, what time we're living in? Verse 21, thus will I display my glory among the nations so that all the nations will see my judgment when I execute it in my hand when I lay it on them. 
From that day on, the house of Israel will know that I am Adonai, their God. What did he say about the Goyim will know that I am Adonai, the Holy One in Israel? To the people of Israel, he'll say, they will know that I'm Adonai, their God, not just Adonai. While the Goyim will know that the house of Israel went into exile because of their guilt, because they broke faith with me, so that I hid my face from them and handed them over to their adversaries, and they fell by the sword, all of them. Yes, I treated them as their uncleanness and crimes deserved, and I hid my face from them. Therefore, Adonai Elohim says this, Now I will restore the fortunes of Yaakov and have compassion on the entire house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. They will bear their shame and all their guilt from breaking faith with me once they are living securely in their land with no one to make them afraid. This will be after I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, thereby being consecrated through them in the sight of many nations." Then they will know that I am Adonai, their God. Since it was I who caused them to go into exile among the nations, and it was I who regathered them into their land, I will leave none of them there anymore, and I will no longer hide my face from them, for I have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says Adonai Elohim. There is... People are going to know that God is God one way or the other. Are they going to know through the grace and mercy and the light that we are shining on them now? Or are they going to know through judgment and justice? Those who yearn for life want to hear the words of life. Those who yearn for death will reject the words of life. Our job is to shake the tree and see which fruits are which. And our job is to prepare ourselves and uh, share with our Jewish brethren how much their God loves them. So remember this scripture in Isaiah 46, verse 13. This is the frame of reference of these prophecies. I am bringing my justice near. It is not far away. My salvation will not be delayed. I will place my salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. God means what he says, and he says what he means. And so, to summarize this, what we're seeing not only through scripture, but what we're seeing unfold, unpacked in the world today appears to be geopolitical, right? The reshaping of this Middle East, this reorganizing and this alliance, this rebirth, if you will, of the, the Islamic empire that was last manifested by the Ottomans in Turkey are now this alliance amongst all these nations are shaping together. We're also reshaping, seeing the reshaping of global powers. The U.S. is no longer at the top by a lot. 
we're seeing things happening in China. And make no mistake, China has nothing to do. China is part of the, this you know, Western civilization, even though it's considered an Eastern nation. You know, it has the same yearning for power, for wealth, for control that infiltrated the world through the, the Greco-Roman perspective and ideology. Global powers, Russia, you know. Iran, do you know that the, the single most influential country in South America is Iran? with Russia supporting it. It is spiritual. We are seeing the emboldening of the anti-Messiah, this anti-Christ spirit. And make no mistake, when we say anti-Messiah and anti-Christ, don't get this weird picture of some, you know, Hunani in Washington, you know, putting, putting the... Uh, the 666 on your forehead or on your top of your hand. Stop it. That's all. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to get there when we go through the book of the Revelation. We're going to find out what that really is from a Hebraic perspective. And it ain't no chip. And it ain't no vaccination. I promise you. That doesn't mean you go out and get some crazy vaccine. That's up to you and God. But I promise you, that has nothing to do with it. Because the emboldening of this anti-Messiah, anti-Christ spirit is superimposed on the emboldening of this anti-Israel, anti-Jewish spirit. They are one and the same. The challenge is what's our part. You know, what, you know, great, that's all going to happen out there, over there, maybe. What's our part? I can't tell you what you're called to do. I can tell you what we as a body of Messiah are called to do. And that is go into all nations and make disciples of all people, starting in Jerusalem. That hasn't changed. <laughs> and it's come full circle, because right now it's back to Jerusalem. Our fulfillment as believers, Jew and Gentile, is to reach out to the Jewish people. Yes, we can have them come out. You read my mind. The question is, what is our part? And uh, what I want to do is um, play a song, if I can find my little thing here. Where'd it go? Ah. I want to play a song. Um, a lot of people have uh, had issues with Hillsong and, you know, that church, but there's one song that really has impacted me that the Hillsong worship group wrote, and this actually is a cover for that by another group, but um, the one thing 
the most important thing for us as believers right now is that we must, and I've been preaching and teaching this since the moment I started in this pulpit, we must be completely surrendered to God. Completely. Unadulterated. Our lives must be a complete surrender. And that's the call to the body. We're going to read in the book of the Revelation where God is calling to his people and he's saying, come out of her, my people. Not the world, my people. Which means that his people are in this Greco-Roman world, engaged in it. And he wants us to come out. And the only way we can come out completely and hear his voice clearly and follow his call in our lives individually is if we surrender. Amen? And so I am going to, if it works, I want us all to stand up and sing this together. Thank you. 
you, Lord. Father, we as a congregation surrender. We completely surrender to you, Lord. You do with us what you will. You command and we will obey. You say and we will do. Father, I pray for every single person in this sound of my voice and in this ministry connected in any way. And I pray that you speak to their hearts. I don't care how new they are in the Lord, how young they are in life, how old they are in the Lord, or how old they are in life, Lord. Speak to their hearts. There is purpose for each and every one of us, unique purpose. And as you speak, Father, I pray for strength to obey day by day, week by week. Today, Lord, speak to us and we will follow. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Hold arms and hug each other. Let us pray over each other. He had a, he had a, a pretty significant uh, praise report. You? Yes. Okay, we've got a praise report. Uh, where's Miss Lyra? Lyra. We got a miracle. Yes. While she's waiting to walk up here, because she can walk up here. Um, we have a, not a stream, but a, a river of prayer requests that, that come in weekly. And Jean does an amazing job of getting those out. And we have a prayer Zoom every Friday. But now's the time uh, we need to be meeting in person for our prayer group, okay? And so we need someone to step up and agree to meet weekly and let's get together and pray um, for these prayer requests, right? So. And revival. Yes. In our hearts. And in our... Are you looking at me? Hmm. No, we're, we want you to give your testimony. But oh. if the shoe fits on the other, Larry, that's okay Larry too. Larry, what bird was that? <laughs> <laughs> A Tracy bird. A Tracy In 2012, I was in another congregation, and some of you may have been there when this happened. Uh, we had closed the service, and we were having Oneg, and... Um, knew there was something wrong, but I thought it was a good idea. Don't interrupt the service. I was having a heart attack. <laughs> Very inconvenient. And um, I didn't want to make Jim aware of what I thought might be happening. And so he got, went and got Oneg, and he went to hand me a little thing of wine. And I couldn't raise my arm. Well, immediately I thought I was having a heart attack. Uh, no, at that point, I didn't know what was happening. I thought it was a stroke. And then I lost all feeling in my legs. I couldn't stand up. Well, I went diabetic. Everyone thought, oh, it's uh, Lyra is having a sugar attack, which she has sometimes. And I, the next thing I could tell you about this is I ended up in the hospital um, and the doctor told me I'd had another uh, lower artery descending explode. And he said, I had five minutes to fix you. Um, pushed kind of close that time. 
the doctor refused to let me have surgery on my knee that was scheduled for Monday. I tend to be opinionated. I don't know. Anyway. This is still back in 2012? Yeah. Yeah. Well. She was about to have knee surgery and I was she had having, a heart attack. They wouldn't do my, idea. he wouldn't let, uh, give me an okay to have my knee surgery. That was quite painful. I needed that knee fixed then in 2012. And, um, I was mad at my cardiologist. I was mad at everybody because I had that stupid brace on my knee and I was having to use a cane all the time. And I rebuked that thing. I was not gonna wear it. And I was not gonna use the cane unless it was so bad that I might fall down because I'm on severe blood thinner. Now, my husband is retired military. Um, he jumped out of too many airplanes. Some of them were not good landings and uh, consequently, pulling that ripcord, uh, he very likely did some serious damage to his shoulder, and he's back there, uh, he has had a complete shoulder replacement. And I realized how much he really does and what I can't physically do. And I talked to my Heavenly Father and I told him, I got more on me than I can handle right now. I need a miracle, and I gotta have it over this knee. And it's been black and swollen since 2012. And if I don't embarrass anybody by showing them, Jean, you caused this. Uh, okay. Since I had the heart attack, I always wear pants under a dress and anything because I don't want my congregation to see me with my tush up. I, I don't look good that way. Anyway. Thank you. <laughs> it's not black anymore. I can walk up and I can bend it. I'm going to wear the pants just in case. Thank you. Praise and yes, y'all can come to my house and pray. Oh, <laughs> I don't think she was asking, but hey. I was. <laughs> you were? Oh, okay. I felt sneaky wife. I felt tequila was a sneaky one. <laughs> You got it? That was the All right. I gotta go back. Yes, you do. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Hallelujah. He is good, and his mercy endures forever. Father, we just thank you and praise you for your love, your mercy, your grace upon us, your hand upon us, and your covering over us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Shalom.